0: Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This talk continues our four-week teaching series, UnSmall, where we look at the lives of four key people. We look at the things they did with their lives and how they devoted themselves to God. The funny thing is, even though some things we do might seem insignificant and very small, what we discover is that they can actually have huge eternal impact on our lives and the lives of others. So, join us this week as we look at the life of Abigail. And welcome to Unsmall week number two. And Unsmall is simply making the choice to have an everyday commitment to live life God's way. That's it, it's an everyday commitment. Not some days, not most days, but an everyday commitment to live life God's way. And when I do that, when I make that choice, it's possible for me to live a not-so-small kind of life, a life that counts, a life that has influence and impact, a life that creates ripples. Today, I'm really excited to share with you the story of a person from Scripture Named Abigail. And she is simply an amazing individual. And we can find her story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there and follow along as I read. You'll also be able to find these words on the screen. So here's 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Here's what we discover about Abigail. It says, now Samuel died. Samuel was a leader He was a respected person in the nation of Israel. And so he's passed, and all Israel has gathered for his funeral. And they buried him at his house in Ramah. And then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. And there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. And here's what he had. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal. And his wife, Abigail, was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. So here's what we know about Abigail. First of all, she's a woman. And that seems kind of obvious. But it's really interesting that in this particular paragraph... That David, the one who is the anointed future king of Israel, is not the hero in the story. It's not about David at all. It's actually about Abigail. She is the hero in the story. And God uses her life to avert a national tragedy in the nation of Israel. She's an incredible person. Here's what else we know about Abigail. She's a married woman. And she married a guy named Nabal who is described as being very rich. So he's got sheep and he's got animals and he's got other possessions and he's really an influential person where he lives. He's a wealthy man. Scripture also tells us this about Nabal. He was mean and crabby as well. He was an invidious type of character. Abigail basically married a creep. Not sure why, but that's part of the story that's what she did. Well, there's something else that we discover about Abigail, and that is she's sensible, which basically means that she had good understanding. She was an intelligent person, and she was known for being correct. And scripture also throws in there that she's a beautiful person. So we've got really... An amazing individual who is smart and intelligent and beautiful. And there's no doubt that when Abigail walked into the room, she was the smartest person there because she had the ability to influence people. She's amazing. But none of those things are what gave Abigail an unsmall kind of life filled with influence and impact. They're all good things, but it's not what gave her an unsmall kind of life. Here's the trait That gave Abigail an unsmall life. She wasn't afraid to challenge others. She wasn't afraid to look at someone and say, No, you can't do that. You can't go there. I see where this is heading for you. And I'm here with my good sense to help protect you from this. And I don't want you to walk down this path. You can't do this. And so I'm going to challenge your thinking on this. That's Abigail. And that's what gave her a life of impact. So here's our big idea for today. Here's kind of the whole thing. Be willing to help people get back on the right path. Just be willing to do that. Be willing to help people get back on the right path. We actually see this outline for us in scripture where we're challenged to do this. It's actually in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, and here's what it says to us in terms of helping people get back on the right path. Verse 1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, and that word overcome there is fascinating because it speaks of being devoured or eaten alive, or there's just a lot of intense pressure here. All right, so think about this. If you find a brother, a friend, a sister, whatever you want to call them, if you find this individual and there is an intense amount of pressure in their life to give in to something and they're being devoured by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. See, there is a sense here where our own godliness... So you got to personalize this. Because it's not just about Abigail and something that happened thousands of years ago. We have to personalize this. So there is a real sense where our own godliness is attached to our willingness to humbly and gently help people get back on the right path. And Abigail got this. I mean, she just understood it. The light came on. And it's what gave her a not-so-small kind of life. Now, there's a lot more to the story of Abigail that I want you to see. So check this out. Let's watch it together.
1: The story in 1 Samuel chapter 25 begins with David, the future king of Israel, doing a kind thing. He, along with a few hundred soldiers, are protecting the property of a wealthy man named Nabal. Instead of reminding him of services rendered and demanding payment, David blesses Nabal and his whole household and respectfully asks for some leftover food. That's all they really wanted was some food. But Nabal said no and then insulted David's servants. Scripture tells us, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? So Nabal's ignorance here is most definitely feigned. He would have known who David was. David, after all, was the boy who killed the giant Goliath. He was the mighty, famous warrior. Nabal's insult was way over the top. After such a response, I can only imagine how the conversation must have gone as David's men returned to camp. I'm sure nobody wanted to deliver the bad news. And sure enough, David was not too happy when he heard. I imagine the scene would have played out like maybe an ancient Palestinian version of an old western. David's sitting in the camp talking with some of his men as the unlucky loser of the straw draws delivering the report. I see David standing up with his eyes on fire, putting on his sword and through gritted teeth saying, Put on your swords, boys. We're going to town. So David's young men returned and told him what Nabal had said. Get your swords, was David's reply, as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Now while all of this is going down on David's end of things, one of Nabal's servants had overheard the interaction. Nabal had just insulted one of the greatest warriors of their time, not to mention that David has 600 trained soldiers at his disposal. The servant runs to Nabal's wife, Abigail, and begs her to do something. Scripture tells us that, in addition to being beautiful, Abigail was wise, and she knew exactly what to do. She wasted no time in putting together as much food as she could, without telling Abel. She wisely left him out of the loop as she acted to save his life. Abigail orders her servants to gather the provisions and load the donkeys, and then they all rode out to meet David. Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Go on ahead. I will follow you shortly." But she didn't tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. Meanwhile, David was out for blood, ready to right the wrong he had suffered. And then Abigail shows up. As soon as she sees him, she falls at his feet, apologizes, offers the gifts that she's brought for him, and then she takes it a step further. She calls him out. She calls him out on his loss of perspective and his attempt at taking things into his own hands. Wow, here is David, the anointed king of Israel, completely caught up in the heat of the moment and ready to obliterate an entire household because one arrogant man happens to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And Abigail reminds him of it. Abigail reminds David of the promises of God and the great things that were in store for him. She reminds him that he was meant for more than petty fights and urges him to live accordingly. She reminds him of the big picture. I think David's response is testimony to the man of God he was. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then, David accepted her present and told her return home in peace I have heard what you said we will not kill your husband because David listened to Abigail he was able to move forward with his life Abigail she's a truth teller she wasn't afraid to challenge and it gave her a not so small kind of life
0: That's the life of Abigail, and that's the type of impact that she had. But I think we've got to ask the question, what if she never does that? I mean, what if she never confronts? What if she never challenges? Like, David, you're going to be the future king of Israel. You're a smart individual. Let's just look at the situation. It is what it is. You'll be able to figure it out. Something will happen here, and I'll just try to stay out of the way. What if she never confronts David? What would have happened to David? And what happens to the people in our lives when we kind of choose to just leave them alone and not challenge them? Well, here's what would have happened to David. First of all, he would have had a blemish on his record. A pretty significant blemish. Here's Abigail speaking again in verse 31. She says, David... Don't let this be a blemish on your record. You see that word blemish? This word is that of tottering or staggering or stumbling. That's what it means. And so if David follows through on this, he he just has a huge stumble on his record. And it's not that David is a perfect individual. He's certainly not stagger free, but there really is no stumble in his life to this point. There is no major catastrophe there. He's basically waiting to become the king of Israel. And God uses Abigail to help him avert doing something terrible that would have absolutely ruined his life and put a huge blemish on his record. Here's what else would have happened to David. Not only would he had a blemish on his record, but he also would have a staggering burden on his conscience. The rest of 31 says, Then your conscience, David, won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And so the idea here is that in his inner man, on the inside, if he follows through on this, he would have been ruined. He would have been nothing. So think about this for a moment, because it's kind of valuable. If Abigail doesn't do this, If Abigail never gets next to David, then he's ruined on the outside. I mean, he's got a public blemish. He's committed murder and he's got a significant problem. So he's ruined on the outside, but not only is he ruined on the outside, he's also kind of ruined on the inside because he has this conscience that he has to live with forever. And Abigail comes along and stops all of this. You know, I think sometimes we ignore people who are in danger. I mean, we do. We just kind of ignore them and we ignore our friends who are about to walk into something crazy that could potentially ruin their lives all in an effort to kind of give them some space to figure it out on their own. Like, I won't bother you. You just figure it out. But is it possible that, in an effort to let people figure out their own issues and their own problems, that we actually contribute to giving them a staggering burden? See, gently and humbly helping people get back on the right path is about casting a new vision. It's about restoring. It's about keeping people from sin. So let's ask this question. Why not? I mean, why don't we do more of this? Why don't we challenge each other a bit more? Why don't we act like Abigail? I think there's probably a couple of legitimate reasons why we don't do this. First of all, most of us don't really like confrontation. I mean, let's just keep it real. This is not a fun thing to do necessarily. It's not always enjoyable. And the reason it's not enjoyable is because we fear that we're going to lose the relationship. I mean, if I confront, if I challenge then I will no longer have a friend. I'm going to lose out. What I've discovered, though, is that by not confronting, you tend to lose the relationship anyway because people start moving in different circles. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian, says it this way, Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. And nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. See, confrontation has this amazing potential to restore people. And isn't that what this is about at the end of the day? It's about restoring relationships. Well, here's another reason we don't act like Abigail. I think it's because we think people can figure out their problems on their own. Like they're going to get, at some point, if I continue down this path, I'm going to walk off a cliff and it's going to be a really bad day for me. People will get that. They'll understand that. So let's just let them figure that all out on their own. I think here's the reality. People can't always figure that out on their own. And here's why. It's because we have this amazing Ability, an astounding ability to deceive ourselves. We do. I know, I do it all the time. I had somebody a couple of weeks ago come to me and say, You know, you're kind of a bit defensive occasionally. I'm like, What? I'm not defensive. Here's the eight ways I am not a defensive person. And immediately I knew, Oh my goodness, I've deceived myself. I really am. And I think this is an issue for all of us. We have this astounding ability to deceive ourselves. Have you ever wondered why it seems like people can't fix themselves? Like, why can't they just change their harmful behavior? Everybody else can see it. I mean, everybody else sees the food on their face and the stuff stuck between their teeth. Why can't they look in a mirror? Why can't they figure this stuff out? It's actually because of something called cognitive dissonance, which is an interesting phrase. Cognitive means judgment and reasoning, so it's a mental thing that's happening. And dissonance means a harsh sound or a discord. And so if you have cognitive dissonance rolling around, there are judgments being made. There's reasoning happening in your mind. And when there is a harsh sound or disharmony, all of a sudden we have a problem in our mind. See, cognitive dissonance is this uncomfortable feeling that comes when we hold two contradictory ideas at the same time. And at some point, we have to figure that out because we don't like feeling bad about who we are and what we do. And so we have to work through this. And we begin to sometimes justify what we're thinking about. Here's an example. At another church I worked at before I came here to Valley Point, I had a really good friend, just an amazing individual, and he got who I was and I got him and our families did stuff together. We went out to eat and we hung out. We served on the worship team together. He was just a really, really good friend and I benefited from my time with him. He spoke truth into my life, and I tried to do the same for him. It was just a great friendship. Really enjoyed my time with him. And then, over a period of about six months, I began to notice some things in his life, some choices that he was starting to make. And he really couldn't see where that was going to take him. And I could potentially see that he was about to blow up his family. And because of some of the choices that he was making, he'd probably lose his job as well and destroy other relationships in his life. So I didn't necessarily want to do this because, again, I didn't want to lose the relationship, but I thought maybe God has placed me right here in his life so that I can help him see that he's about to walk off a cliff and just destroy his life. So I got with him several times and said, hey, this is what I see. You're kind of walking this way. You're moving in this direction, and I think if you continue this pattern, you're going to ruin your family, and you're going to lose your job, and you're going to lose out on a lot of other key relationships in life, and I don't think you want that, and I know God doesn't want that for you, and I don't want that for you. And as I'm having these conversations with him, you could just see the tension in his mind as he's trying to balance some contradictory ideas and behaviors. Unfortunately, that story... Didn't turn out so well. And not all of them do. Because here's the reality. When we begin to have this kind of tension in our mind, we have to relieve it some way or our heads just explode. And so in an effort to relieve that tension, we tend to do one of two things. We change our behavior. Like, okay, I get it. That makes sense. I'm moving this way and it's not a good way. So I'll just change my behavior and kind of make things right again. I'll have harmony in my mind. We change our behavior. Or what a lot of people tend to do is we tend to justify our behavior. We make it right so that we can convince ourselves that we have harmony in our mind and we feel better about who we are even though we're not making great choices. It's actually a writer in Scripture who talks about cognitive dissonance, this battle in our minds. But he doesn't call it that. He just calls it sin. We find this in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that what I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. I mean, I really do. I just love it. I'm crazy about it. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. And quite honestly, that sounds depressing. Because here's a writer of scripture. I mean, he's close to God. He should get it. And if he's got all of this tension in his mind and comes to the conclusion that I'm just a miserable person, what about us? Is there any hope at all? And here's what's amazing. And get this. This is where the church helps. And helps in a significant way. Because it is a community of people who are doing life together, who are holding each other accountable. And that's why this is a big deal. And that's why this is important. And that's why we need this. We need Valley Point to be filled with real community where we hold each other accountable. And sometimes, here's what that means. It means we have to challenge. We have to confront And we've got to be like Abigail and get next to people and say, you're about to step in a huge mess and I want to help you avoid all of that. See, our strategy here at Valley Point is pointing people to real relationships that inspire real significance. And one of the ways that we can have real relationships with people is when we decide to humbly and gently help others get back on the right path. That's real. And when that happens, we've got a shot at real significance as well. So I want to go back to Abigail for a few moments and tell you about how this story concludes. So back in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 36, this is kind of interesting. When Abigail arrived home, so after all the confronting and she drops off all this food And she gives David and his men something to eat. She comes back. She found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk. So she didn't tell him anything about her meeting with David until dawn the next day. She's sensible. Remember, she's a smart woman. So in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke. And he lay paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. And that's the end of Nabal. So Abigail comes home, and she finds her husband throwing a St. Patrick's Day party. (laughs) I mean, they're not Irish, but, you know, it's a big party, and Nabal is drunk, he's toast, he's out of his mind. And so Abigail says, all right, we'll just talk tomorrow. And so Abigail comes in, and there's a very interesting play on words here. The author kind of uses a word for wine or wine skins. that is the word nebel. And so he basically suggests that Nabal was nebel. And when the wine went out of him, there was nothing left to him as a man. I mean, he's just gone and there was nothing to him at all and he just dies. It's kind of crazy. This is Abigail. So what I want to do is I want to give you some takeaways as we think about her crazy life, and the choice that she made to challenge other people. First of all, get a truth teller in your life. That's what you need to do. Get a truth teller in your life. See, I think every single person in this room needs at least one individual who will speak the truth without holding anything back. They'll do that gently and humbly, but they will speak the truth. And we kind of push away from that. We don't always like that. And I think the reason we don't like that is because we fear what we might discover about ourselves. Well, maybe the thing we'll discover if we invite a truth teller into our life is that they're going to help us avoid complete disaster. I think we all want that. We all want to avoid that. So get a truth teller in your life. You know, our problem is that we tend to live in little pseudo-communities where everything is nice and filtered and safe and we don't really speak the truth at all. And so we cluster in these pseudo-communities and this happens in our churches, it happens in our marriages, it happens in our relationships and it's not real. It's not. So the only way to avoid a pseudo-community is to invite truth-tellers into your life and to give them full permission to just humbly and gently once in a while, push you back onto the right path. So get a truth teller. Secondly, be a truth teller. I mean, be that person. Sacrifice some of your own comfort to gently and humbly help people. You know, maybe even today, as we've been working through this talk, somebody's on your mind. Somebody, maybe that you've kind of avoided, and you're hoping that they'll figure it out on their own and that they'll get it. And God is kind of placing them on you right now. Be willing, be so willing to sacrifice your own comfort to gently and humbly help them. Don't be afraid. And then, thirdly, use your skills to promote peace. So, you've got skills. Abigail was intelligent. She had good sense. She made wonderful choices. So use your skills that you have because you have some of these things too. Use them to promote peace. See, this isn't about blowing people up. This isn't about smoking people between the eyes. And sometimes I think we talk about this and there are some individuals who just love to chase people and point out all of the junk in their lives. And I now have permission. I've got a green light to just go out and annihilate people. This is great. I love it. And that's not Abigail. It's not what she does. She humbly and gently helped people get back on the right path and God gave her a not so small kind of life. So guess what? We need to be ready to do the same. We do. So if that's gonna happen for all of us, get a truth teller in your life. Just identify that person, call them up and say, you've got my permission to go for it. Get a truth teller in your life, be a truth teller, and then use your skills to promote peace and help people get back on the right path. And this, this is what will give us a not-so-small kind of life, a life of influence and impact, a life that will count. Father, we're so thankful for some time this morning just to think about the life of Abigail. Uh, She is just an incredible person. God, maybe she's not anybody that we knew about before today. But yet through her life and through her example, we see that she helped a person that you called a man of God, somebody who had a heart for you, King David. She got next to him and helped him avoid having a huge blemish in his life and a staggering burden on his conscience. God, he would have been ruined if it weren't for Abigail. God, I pray that you'd give me people in my life who will do that. And I pray for everybody here that you'd help them to identify that person who will do that for them as well. God, help us to challenge each other. Help us to be willing to do this and provide accountability right here. This is where the church helps. This is what it's all about. It's about real people living life together, helping us gently and humbly stay on the path that you've marked out for us. So God, I pray today that you'd use the life and the story of Abigail to really convict us and to challenge us to follow her example and her lead, knowing that this is what you want for us and it will give us this incredible life, an incredible life of influence and impact. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 915 and 11 a.m.